Okay, I've told you before that um, the Endangered Species Act list, like the list of endangered species, that's where species go to die. You know, if you go on that list, this does not bode well for you in terms of being restored, which is supposed to be the goal of the act. However, comma, you'd be surprised at how many species um, are miraculously recovered. So, so declares federal bureaucrats, which actually were never endangered in the first place. So, you, you know, you claim a win uh, when, in fact, you're hiding errors of counting the animals in the past. There are all kinds of shenanigans that go on uh, inside federal agencies and, and those who do oversight of them. Um, fortunately, I have one on the line right now who was responsible for oversight of federal agencies while working on Capitol Hill and elsewhere, uh, similar to my background. His name is Rob Gordon. He's worked environmental issues for over three decades, senior advisor to the director of the U.S. Geological Survey, uh, served in the Department of the Interior, the Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations, Senior Advisor on Endangered Species for the House Natural Resources Committee, on and on. Um, also played a primary role in uh, the Threatened and Endangered Species Recovery Act. So he's truly an expert. Welcome to the show, Rob Gordon. Jackie, it's great to join you. Great to have you here. So uh, you heard my introduction. I see here that you have a new study um, by Western Caucus Foundation that you can comment on, essentially saying that after 50 years, um, the Endangered Species Act has recovered less than 2% of species. Yet, I see in the same uh, description that some species were routinely, the word is routinely, listed in error, magically recovered uh, to hide errors. So, Look, when I tell people this stuff, because I've been talking about this for a long time, it's like people have a hard time believing this. Um, how could you, how could you, for example, claim, I don't know, that there are only 18 monito geckos left on Earth because you counted during the day and then you realize, oh, this is a nocturnal animal? We missed 99.7% of them, right? These shenanigans go down. Rob, what I need you to do is uh, bear witness to this. Um, what? Okay, let, let's start with 2%. Why can it be true? What, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> or are we intentionally yeah. doing something wrong? That only 2% of the species that go on this list ever get revived. Isn't, there, isn't that the whole point of it? It is. In fact, um you know, the law defines conservation as bringing a species to the point where you can essentially take it off the list. Yeah. Um, when I try to describe the ESA to people, you know, like most things in Washington, it's big and complicated. Um, but if you simplified it, uh, the agencies that are implementing it, their job is to identify uh, species, animals and plants that are in immediate in danger uh, of extinction or likely uh, to become uh, endangered in the foreseeable future. And then they're supposed to put them on a list, use the, the, the regulations and authorities they have uh, under the law to fix them up and then take them off, right? So that seems pretty sensible and something uh, I think most people are supportive of. 
the devil's in the details, though. You know, we've been doing this for 50 years, and uh, a lot of people who are the advocates of the law have been telling us, well, you know, it, it takes time. Uh, just give it time, and we'll, we'll, it'll bear fruit. And here we are, um, a half century later, the federal government has taken off uh, 62 species and said, you know, great news, these species are recovered. But when you really dig into the the details, they turn out to be things like the Manito gecko, um, where they were uh, put on the list uh, based on an assumption that they were being uh, that there was a, a really low number that they declined because they were getting eaten by invasive black rats, and subsequently um, the agency, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, has acknowledged there's no evidence that one gecko was ever eaten by one rat. And um, <laughs> this is made up. Decades. This is yeah, made up, yeah, right? This is well, speculation. It's, it's total conjecture, and um, if it were one case, uh, I think you could say, well, you know, this was the way people were looking at the world. You know, they were, they were making assumptions. But, it, but it's so common that, in fact, the, you know, the majority of the species that have been taken off the list and hailed as successes really were mistakes. And if it's that pervasive, you've got to start wondering, is the goal here generally, has it, has it morphed from one of recovering species to really using the law uh, more like a, a land use control tool than a conservation tool? Right, and, um, right. And we're familiar with this in Texas big time, right? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here in Texas. I get a, uh, the, the show broadcast on the dial out in West Texas in the Permian Basin where you probably know uh, the dunes sagebrush lizard is constantly, you know, perennially being targeted uh, by environmentalists to try to destroy oil production in West Texas. Like if only we can say this lizard, which is native to the area, is endangered or threatened or whatever, then we can pass a law uh, or, or a reg to stop all development that could destroy or, or disturb its habitat. And the same thing happened with the lizard. I was told this by guys out in West Texas who had to watch this for their business closely. They're like, listen, they were counting these lizards and this was like during a drought year. Plus, yeah, there's, there's no water. And they're counting them at the wrong time of day, just like this gecko. And so what, we're going to take off the most prolific oil field in America? It produces more than any member of OPEC, except maybe Saudi, um, all because we want to save a lizard counted in the daytime during a drought. So this is a really big deal. This has huge implications. Couldn't this explain you know, this, this motive of trying to be anti-development, explain why they're getting things so wrong? I mean, they have a big incentive to get things wrong. Yeah, I, I, I think the, your you're right in the right ballpark. Um, the reality is when you add a species to the list, the agency gets additional regulatory authority. You know, power. They get to go out That's and power. look at any activity that affects that species. Um, when you take it off the list, the agency's regulatory authority is reduced, right? They know it, the, the species are kind of innocent bystanders to this. Um, you know, they're oblivious to what's going on, but they're 
being used by many as pawns, uh, essentially, so that the federal government has regulatory authority over things that it other might otherwise might not have. And there are organizations out there who just have an, uh, kind of a, a worldview that there's too many people that are uh, habitats uh, disappearing, and therefore there's a biodiversity crisis. Now, we could you know, spend a whole other program together someday talking about how those are misguided notions. Um, but the misguided notions have you know, real consequences. And when you, you look at the species they're claiming as recovered, you find over and over again that they were undercounted, um, that their range was uh, underestimated, that a particular threat to them uh, really wasn't as significant, uh, or in some cases that this subspecies or species really isn't taxonomically valid. That is... <laughs> There is no such thing, you know, that's, that's a little simplistic uh, in terms of how to describe that to people. But uh, there's a plant, for example, called McGuire's Daisy that they put on the list because they thought there were only seven. And later on, uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service put out a press release saying, hey, great news, there's now 163,000. <laughs> well, that would seem like a really big increase, right? But it wasn't. The, the reality was there was no change in numbers of McGuire's daisy. They found out that the McGuire daisy and another daisy thought to be different were in fact the same. And when you put them, the two together, you had a much bigger number. And rather than, than saying, you know what, the data were in error, we should take it off the list. Uh, they said, hey, great news. Um, your tax dollars are working. We recovered this this plant. Right. Okay. Rob, a few things. Um, the study shows that 60% of species delisted from the Endangered Species Act were never endangered in the first place. That two-thirds of the habitats are on private lands. So we're going to you know tell landowners they can't use their land as they see fit or maybe even fine them. Um, and then... We went through the example like the Monito gecko. Uh, supposedly, there were only 18 of them left until supposedly they found out later that it was nocturnal. So they had undercounted 99.7% uh, of them were not in the count. Um, okay. <laughs> so there we are. A few thoughts. Um, the first is it seems to me that despite these errors, which I think are inexcusable. I mean, how can you not know a species is nocturnal after you've done all the study of it uh, over a period of years, no doubt? Who knows how much money was involved and they claim they didn't know. Here's my question. Is there any accountability for the bureaucrats who claim these are mistakes that hurt people's you know, pocketbooks and freedom? Um, not so far that I know of. And, and you would know because uh, you did the oversight. You're, you're getting into a, a, a really kind of crucial, uh, you know, the crux of the issue in some respects, and, and that is scientific integrity, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, when we're going to put the wheels of government in motion and go through this process of adding a species to the list, which, by the way, just the paperwork involved can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, 
you should be doing it on uh, reliable and uh, sufficient data. They're supposed to use the best available data, um, but in sometimes uh, it, it's obvious that um, either the data was just wrong or the interpretation of it was. And it, it, it happens over and over again. And um, despite these these cases where you can look at them and say, hey, this this thing is clearly a mistake, um, despite the federal rate, federal agencies um, putting in the federal register that this thing was a success. Nobody ever seems to be held accountable for that. You know, it's essentially scientific misinformation. Um, the GAO pointed this out in, back in 1988 uh, with three other species that were hailed as successes. Uh, but the GAO said, look, the, the reality is uh, these things were undercounted. So this has been going on um, in this program for decades. And um, the Fish and Wildlife Service has essentially gotten away with repetitively misreporting and this is not not it, it, it's wrong um, just ethically. Uh, it's a scientific integrity problem. It makes Congress's oversight job uh, more difficult, and it also misinforms the public as to what's going on. Right. Well, the other the other thought I had is that maybe <clears throat> maybe some of this is actually let's assume they were being accurate. Let's assume they were accurately counting a species, not playing any sleight of hand, actually trying to do their job. Um, isn't it true that the loss of species over time, certain species, is natural? Like it's not something that, uh, that we can control. Like it's a, it's a natural occurrence. Um, it's mixed, right? Uh, what you're talking about is natural natural background extinction rate and most assuredly that that occurs and there are a lot of these species that are kind of considered relictual you know they they um declined uh after you know, after the ice age or something um and the question then becomes what what role do human beings have uh in hastening that decline and even if human beings don't have a role um, what should we do about it? I think there's there's other questions beneath that that are that are even more serious, um, and you know they they regard what is a species uh, when when we mention that word species and the Endangered Species Act, we're using it in a legal, not a biological context. It in, incorporates subspecies, distinct populations sometimes varieties of plants, and all these things get hazier and hazier, and the groups, the groupings get smaller and smaller. And with each smaller grouping, any human activity that affects it seems greater. Therefore, everything's endangered, you know? <laughs> Basically, if, if uh, it's really easy to be endangered, you know, special and unique, uh, they've, they've eliminated... The, the meaning of the word special and unique, right? Um, not everything's endangered. And um, when you when you look at the numbers and the program, that's certainly imp certainly the impression people have been given. Well, it just seems like so much of not just the environmental movement, 
but the um, doomsday prophets, the people who are constantly <clears throat> predicting the apocalypse, whether it's climate or, or whatever, um, they take natural phenomenon. Um, you know, like, you know, global warming right now is natural. <clears throat> um, you know, so many changes. Um, you know, the, the erosion of coastline is natural. It's been happening since the beginning of time, right? Coastlines change. That's what they do. Nothing stays the same. Um, and, and these things are, are measured and turned into crises. Um, at least that's what I saw while working on Capitol Hill. And um, you were there for a long, long time. I mean, you know what? A person can almost accuse you of being a swap creature, but somehow you came out like with integrity. You're actually uh, holding accountable the government rather than uh, you know, selling out and lobbying on behalf of, I don't know, I won't name any names. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's really refreshing to, to hear from you. Um, what can we do if, if, if somehow responsible people ever get the government back? After all you've seen, what would you do to try to bring accountability to endangered species work? Well, that's, that's a huge question. Uh, but, and of course, I ask uh, you with three minutes in the, end of the segment, of course. Right. I, I mean, <laughs> There, there are, the good news is there are lots of things you could do to improve the program, right? Because it's, it's so terrible right now. Uh, right now, it kind of pits people against wildlife. And uh, one of a, a former regional director of Fish and Wildlife from Texas said, hey, um, the incentives are all wrong here. If I find gold on my property, the value goes up. If I find an endangered species, the value goes down. Right. And that's not what you want to do. If you, you want to give people incentives to recover things, you've, so you've got to protect their private property. We obviously need much stricter scientific standards. I'd love to see the states uh, really uh, more in the driver's seat when we're talking about species that fall just within their states, uh, rather than this ever-growing federal list that's basically used for national land use control. So there's a whole lot of things we can do. But with regard to um, these crises, that, that crisis mode, that there's good news out there and that it's <clears throat> things aren't all disappearing. Moose, elk, black bear, mountain lion, uh, beaver, uh, I could go on and on and on. All these things are actually uh, have increased substantially in number and range over the last century. And we're, when we're talking about 1,700 uh, endangered species. We're talking often about subspecies, varieties of plants. Uh, I think more than half of the mammals on the list are subspecies, for example. So the, the picture is a lot brighter with regard to wildlife and biodiversity and much more disturbing with regard to implementation of the Endangered Species Act. Okay, I've got um, very little time left. One question for you. This is a yes or no question. Um, is it possible that 100% of U.S. land, I don't mean federal land, I mean all land, um, actually contains an endangered species, whether it's a plant or an animal. In other words, could the federal government justify taking jurisdiction and control over 100% of our land on the basis that there's an endangered species potentially occupying that land? Is that possible? Almost 100, you know, it's close enough. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it is vast. I think there's uh, over, you take the state of California, 
more than two times that area has been, I believe, designated as critical habitat. And there's even greater amounts that are affected by uh, other aspects of endangered species regulation. So it's vast. And that's just one act out of so many, so many. And hundreds of thousands of federal regulations, uh, many of them criminal, with criminal penalties. Uh, So that's where we stand. I'm all sunshiny today. Talking to Rob Gordon. Rob Gordon was on the Hill. He was in the agencies, uh, interior and otherwise. 30 years of experience talking about a new report by Western Caucus Foundation uh, on Endangered Species Act and where we are after 50 years. Rob, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, uh, it was absolutely a pleasure to uh, join you and would just like to direct your your viewers and listeners to um, the Western Caucus Foundation website where they can pick up this report. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Rob, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.